Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Soccer America, the soccer paper of record. Go to SoccerAmerica.com and sign up for your subscription today. More information on all our sponsors at OverTheBall.com slash sponsors. Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn and Davey G, Dave Gallego. On OTB today, U.S. Men's National Team Captain John Harks is going to join us, an old friend of mine. Uh, we're going to get caught up. He uh, He's done everything, soup to nuts, as you say, in the restaurant business uh, from a, a gifted player, Herman Award winner, uh, you know, going overseas, first guy in the Prem. Dave. Great setting this up. Dave, uh, John's my friend, and uh, I didn't think of reaching out to him, but you did. So He, like all the other members of those 1990-1994 uh, World, um, uh, World Cup days are, are heroes of mine, and anybody who's interested in the history and the trajectory of American soccer should definitely be researching those teams because um, the, team, the MLS did not always exist. So a great guy. People don't remember that. So uh, I'm down in Florida right now, just finished watching the Liverpool game. They got off to a slow start, but they're at the top of the prem. Uh, you know, now they're, they're four points ahead, but they have a game in hand. So uh, it's been interesting to watch. I, I love it when you know, there's not a breakaway team. You have Arsenal in the hunt. You got Manchester City in the hunt. So it should be a good end of the season there. So, And it would be fun to talk to John about this. So I don't want to take up too much time at the top of the show because we want to get a good, uh, good amount of time with John. So uh, stick around, everybody. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll come back with John Harks. Today on OTB, I'm excited. My old friend, John Harks, former U.S. Men's National Team captain, is our guest. Uh, first guy to play in the Premier League, Harksy. Welcome, brother. How are you, man? I'm, I'm good, man. It's uh. You know, you should be playing Reunited in the background here for us. It's been a while. It's been a oh, while. Peaches. Good to see you. Yeah, oh, Peaches and Herb reference. I love it. Opening it, with Peaches and Herb. Wow. There we that, go. I, awesome wait, me. Wait, that's how old we are. That's how old we Reunited. are. Even even when I was young, I didn't listen to Peaches and Herb. You pushed these cheeses. Bullshit. You have a Peaches and Herb tattoo. You, you're so full of crap. You hey, save so money. Well. It just says Herb. So, John, uh, you stepped down at Greenville Triumph. You did a good yes, job sir. there. You were at Cincinnati. And uh, you're just yeah. reconnecting with the family, I see. You're just taking a little downtime before you move on to your next gig. Will it be coaching? Uh, it possibly could be. Yeah. Um, I'm open at this point, you know, because I was really fortunate uh, with Joe Irwin, the owner at Greenville, South Carolina, and uh, Chris Lewis, the president. They allowed me to be the sporting director as well as the manager at that club. And so it gave me, you know, reflecting back a lot of experience, um, negotiating contracts, partnerships, you know, everything in the community. Um, so it, it was great. So I'm not sure where that, that'll take me to the next one, next challenge, but look at the end of the day, it's, uh, I'm looking at different opportunities. I've had conversations in the off season. Um, my wife, Cindy and I started that club in Greenville and back in, Right before the 2019 season kicked off for USL League One, it was the brand new season, and uh, yeah. so she was our director of soccer operations. And then, as COVID came, her dad got pretty ill back here. We kept our home here in Northern Virginia, and she came back to take care of him. And then after that, her mom had cognitive decline, so she came back again. So it was a lot of back and forth, guys. And um, I've been down there five and a half years. And to be honest with you, I love the club. I love everything about it. They offered me another two-year deal, and I, I just needed to come home. I needed to come back and, and just be here and support the family. And so that's what I'm doing right now. 
you know, yeah, well, you, you left on top. I mean, you did some good things there in your short time there. Well, I appreciate it, Dave. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, look, I mean, you're only as good as the people around you, to be honest with you. I don't want to be the smartest guy in the room. <laughs> I want people yeah. around me that are they're going to make things work in the club and the players and staff, um, people in the community, fan base. It was awesome. I mean, it really was. We connected so well with the community there, especially being like, you know, that's like Clemson football country, you know. Yep. we're half an hour away from it and uh it was difficult to break in but thank you it was we had a lot of success we won the title in the second year went to three cup finals there and um yeah it's it's based on personal relationships and the guys and everything the players are fantastic they they give everything and these guys are real soccer junkies i mean we talk about players at division three we're trying to establish a, a brand new league division three in this in this country and that pyramid scheme and that structure. And these guys aren't making a lot of money, but they love it. They love yeah. the game. So you got to give them everything you got 24 7 and, uh, you know, to really make sure that you're locked in with them, you know, and giving them focus. So it was good. It was really good experience. It's, uh, it's interesting because, you know, you had two jobs there and one of them is overwhelming and uh, you, you get burnt out a little bit too. And then obviously, uh, we get older and the family dynamics change and we need to, you know, shift our sort of focus on things. I, you know, you're talking about the Clemson area down there. I, you know, I know Mike Noonan forever and my God, yeah. he works his ass off just, you know, year round. And it's, uh, it's, it burns that's you true. out, you know, but so you start, you know, it's funny though, as, as us, as young players, you're just thinking that's all you want. That's the only care is, you know, putting some, you know, getting some time on a great club, signing the contract, everything like that. And then suddenly you're yeah. a little older. And it's uh, it's about family and, and friends. So uh, so it's good. So, you know, you've had a lot of challenges in your life. I'm watching Liverpool a couple of minutes ago, just saying, uh, you know, it reminded me, I said, oh, Harksy's coming on. He was the first one in the Premier League. And now, you know, now we have some boys are not a ton, but we have some boys that are over there. You know, it's uh, you were groundbreaking. Yeah. Who knew? And, yeah. and one of my things is it's why I love to have guys like you on is, God, these young guys forget the history that's come before them. And so we always like to remind them. You know, we were talking about Ricky Davis last week on the on air, and uh, and then now here we have John Harks. So I was just saying, Ricky Davis, you bring up a, a great name, Kevin, because you know people were asking me. We were we were at uh, MetLife Stadium, you know, for the announcement a couple weeks back of the the World Cup final coming to MetLife Stadium, you know, which is pretty amazing. So I was part of that, you know, um, committee, the host committee, to try to drive that strategic plan and get that there. We couldn't believe we won that bid, but I look back on the old Giant Stadium, and I was a ball boy for the Cosmos, and people were like, you know, of course, Pele, my God, legends, you know, and what an influence yeah. he has on you as a young kid, and you look at Beckenbauer and Cruyff and Canalia. I mean, Albert, you go down Carlos the list, Alberto. Carlos Alberto. Carlos Alberto. Yeah. yeah, of course, Dave. And But you look at a guy like Ricky Davis, who was the American at the time, and we're like, we can come relate to him. And he would come to Carney Thistle or my youth club and give out trophies. You know so, what I mean? For winning like the crazy. Northern County community, whatever. Like it's just brilliant, that full circle. And you know, you have to understand and respect the history of the game in this country to know where you're going. You know, and No, it, it, it's so true. And you know, we had coach Willie Roy who coached the Chicago Sting on last week and he was saying that uh, that the, the demise of the, 
yeah, absolute legend. And, you know, not everybody knows him. I mean, uh, we all know him, of course. I mean, we all know the uh, the substitutes for the Rochester Lancers. We were so into soccer back in the day. But, you know, he said that the demise of the NASL was due partly because or mostly because of, of the uh, advanced uh, indoor scheduling when they started playing on Tuesday nights instead of the weekends and expanded the schedule to 24 or 36 games. So, yeah, uh, the demise of the NASL was, was horrible. But um, I did I did want to ask you, I mean, I want to ask you a million things, but uh, I want to move on to uh, your time in the Premier League. So um, when you, when first and foremost, anybody on those World Cup squads in 90 and 94, they were absolute heroes of mine, uh, you included, which is why I was so uh, psyched to uh, that you agreed to chat with us. But uh, tell us about, um, I mean, you have so many accolades that you've earned in your career but you know tell us the first thing that comes to mind the, the highlight of both world cups for you because we had bruce murray on and my highlight is when he almost knocked it in uh the free kick against italy that was my highlight oh. tell me tell me your highlight the first thing that comes to mind uh first thing that comes to mind uh Trinidad tobago qualifying uh, and 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 just getting a result down there to go like and trying to have dave that realization at the time that we're on the field and like a hundred degree weather and a hard surface. And we, we got the result and all they needed was a draw and their, their whole country was celebrating for three days. And, and they are really tremendous people. They were so yeah. respectful that we, we won and, and got through, but just that recognition of the achievement that we had to get to that stage again was amazing because even the, you know, if you think about it, the guys that were qualifying in 85 for the 86 World Cup were good. That was a great team. Quality players on that team and, and just couldn't put it together and get the big ones, you know, couldn't get the yeah. results. So we looked at that and we took it like really personally, put a chip on our shoulder. And even like me, Tab and Tony Miola, it's Tony Miola's birthday today, by the way. I was on Sirius XM earlier and telling some stories with him and that rat tail ponytail, man. That thing, <laughs> Kevin, you remember that. Yeah, but it goes back to again to me. It's like yeah, stepping uh, into the uh, the World Cup in Italy, uh, just almost like as tourists, you know, uh, right. as young college kids, twenty two, twenty one, twenty three years old, and our average age, and it was amazing. But we could not have gotten to those experiences without qualifying in that last game and that series at Trinidad Tobago. Just stands out all the time, every day. I can remember plays and plays and plays and. We should. They should have had a penalty kick, and John Doyle takes down a player. Miola gets a fingertip to a save around the. Po I mean, it's just it's nonstop. But that was a yeah. tremendous move. Really was. And there's a movie about that game now, isn't there? There's a documentary. Uh, you know, I think they did a tribute. Uh, I had I'd spoken to there was like a the billion dollar goal they did with Paul Calgary, and I think it was with Graham Wall, and it was a tribute to Graham Wall before he passed yeah. away. Oh right, right, right. I'd seen that, but I hadn't seen anything else. But there are a lot of documentaries actually i'm going to be doing another one next week and just based on 94 um dave so you bring up 90 and 94 94 beating columbia was just probably the game of the century for us like for us yep. to, to stamp on the game and convince our nation that we could have a professional league major league soccer two years later that was the game to do it and it pushed us on to the next round against brazil on independence day july 4th and, you know in stanford and to connect fully with the community in our in our country and and see if we could be the catalyst to kind of you know like just push them on to say hey Americans can play this game and do it well that was a that was a massive massive win for us against Colombia it was huge yeah. right? 
And the guy actually, and just a, a, an interesting tidbit, the guy that's the Colombian that scored the own goal, he ended up getting killed. That's how powerful soccer is in that nation. We don't mention that, Dave, because it really had nothing to do yeah. with the game, I don't think. I mean, Escobar, you know, I mean, he went out to a nightclub and uh, 85% of Colombians have guns on them at all times. And he should have known to sit that one out. His sister told him, stay home. Yeah, and, and Andreas Escobar, it's, it's a sad time. I couldn't talk about it for a long time because I was the one who crossed the ball that he put in. So yes. people were coming to me. The people were coming to me that, that uh, you know, it was like maybe two in the morning or something, right, Kevin? That that he was at a nightclub and all of this yeah. happened. And the next morning in training, we would usually go past the media and go out to the field, and and they wouldn't really talk to us much until post training. But there was about eight or nine media around me going, "Did you hear about Andreas last night? He was murdered." And I was just like blown away. So I'm thinking about how do I recover for the next game, you know, against Romania. And they're telling me about a player being killed. And Dave, yep. you just said that whatever you want to call it, it, it's eccentric. It's like out of control, passion, or just anger and, and suffering in a country that puts so much on one game as a human uh, a life, which is just diabolical. And, and he was a gentleman in the game. He was a great person. Yeah. It, it was a lot of emotions there throughout that whole World Cup. And it was a lot of pressure on Colombia with all the, the, the back stories. And, Kevin, you, you and I talked about this previously, about the gambling yeah. and, and all the debt and the mafia and the Lord Rings and all that stuff. And it was just crazy. But, you know, again, the game connects you in so many different ways. And sometimes it's not always, it's not always positive, unfortunately. You know, here, here's my beef with that, though, too. We've no matter how good of a player you are, we've all scored own goals. It's it's part of the game. It's part of the process. And um, you know, you all get caught in that bad position, or a ball ricochets off your you know chest or something. It just happens. And it's always bothered me that people on the outside, not the players, with all the stuff that the players go through, the pressure, the training, and all that, something as random as an own goal, they do not know how to react to it, and it, it's horrible. And, and it, it can and be it, prevented. It can't yeah, be prevented. It, yeah, but I'm saying a great young a great young man, his life is taken away because of something stupid like that. And like you're saying, John, it puts the game in perspective. Like, wow. You know, yeah. we're talking about family early on in this yeah. interview. Man, those are the important things. And anybody can score an own goal. And and he's a hell of a player. It was it was very sad. So hey, John, ninety-four, that was yeah. also when you and I met. And um it was it was a great time. And you know, I always felt I was at the camp, I was at US men's national team camp and you know, covering it for ESPN. And it was a time when, you know, Bora, I'd play. I'd, I'd knock it around because they needed some numbers down there. You know, guys were playing. And there was this whole thing about the domestic players and then the guys who were playing overseas. And, John, you had to come back to the United States. And you were like this. Um, there was a lot of pressure on you because they were waiting for you to come back with an attitude or whatever. And you say, all oh, these foreign guys. And then there's the domestic guys. Um and you stepped into it. You actually had to deal with a lot of pressure, not just on the field, but you were the spokesperson in many ways. You were the captain. Um, and people were all looking at you like, you know, is he thinks he's, he's too cool for us. So what was it like stepping into that, coming back to America? I remember seeing you at the Rose Bowl with Cindy and, you know, just yeah. looking at the pressure you had to deal with. It was it was a it's a great, you know, um, topic of discussion, Kevin. And we, we talk about it often, actually. I was talking with uh, Miola about it probably a couple of weeks ago. And, um, you know, it was, it, it was almost, I, I want to reference the way we were kind of managing ourselves as a great divide. 
we had seven players playing in Europe at the time. And the rest of everybody else was playing in a camp in Dana Point, you know, Mission Viejo. And, right. and they were playing games every week and they were getting international caps. You know, everyone's like Kobe Jones and Marcelo Bavoa had like close to 200 caps. I'm like, yeah, they played the University of uh, California, uh, you know, 15 yeah. times in one year. And you gave a cap for that? I'm like, come on, guys. So it, it was interesting, but they had a bond and they were fighting to get onto the, the roster. And we had seven players, as I said, that were overseas and coming back in. And I don't know, Kevin, if you remember, I came back in initially and I went home for one day. And then Bora, I came, I flew into the West Coast, you know, from England because it was really late. I came in late because we were in the League Cup promotion final because I moved to Derby County from Sheffield Wednesday. And we lost the final 1 0. And we outshot Leicester City like 21 to 3. And we lost that game. And I came in physically like spent. I think I had maybe 60 games that year. And emotionally, I was not in a good place. I was right. depressed. I was like, you know, disappointed that we didn't get promotion with Darby because I left Sheffield Wednesday in the Premier League to go and raise this club up. And it was a big challenge and responsibility. And you talk about the responsibility with the, the national team. It was difficult with that too. But I knew that we kept relationships with a lot of these guys. We were always a tight group when we got together in the summers. And that was a difficult thing. We would play the U.S. Cups and all that stuff. But honestly, it was hard because we were away for a whole season. And now we would sprinkle in a couple of games here and there, or I'd play a game in Ireland and I'd meet them there. And then, you know, so it wasn't like we were. So I wondered back in the day, and we talk about it, Kobe Jones and I, sometimes we talked and he was like, yeah, there was, you know, animosity towards you guys. Like we didn't, we didn't want you to come in and take another roster spot, but we knew you guys were better than us. And I'm yeah, like, that's you, not necessarily true. We were just in a different yeah, you, league. Yeah, you go from we're one environment yeah. to another one. Yeah, completely different. Bohr did a great job of bringing us together. He did a good job of that. Now, Bohr was like the magic man. I mean, every team he coached, regardless of whether or not he spoke the language or not, he was successful with every team. So just um, when, you know, when he took over the U.S. squad, um, you know, I really had high expectations. Uh, yeah. But I wanted, so I wanted to ask you because uh, you touched on something that I actually wanted to touch on. So when you played in in Europe, and like Kevin alluded to, you were the first guy when you played in Europe, and then you came back to play in the MLS inaugural MLS's inaugural season. Um, tell me about the talent level. Like when you went on the, I know the, I know the MLS was uh, pushed back a year and uh, started in '96 and not '95. But uh, when you came back to play after having all this experience in Europe. What was the talent level like? Did you? I know you're not. You don't want to say that you were better than everybody, but I mean, was it was it a, a step down, two steps down, three steps down, talent wise? You know, look. I mean, initially, was, initially, initially, it was really challenging, and I was hanging out with a friend of mine, you know, in Florida, um, a great author, David Baldacci, and we were talking about it, and I remember telling him that Bruce Arena, who was coaching me, and Kevin Payne, at that time, the president of all presidents, like, unbelievable guy. God rest his soul. Lost. Yeah, God rest his soul. Um, you know, we they were telling me sometimes after training sessions to slow down. I, I said, I, I don't understand what you mean. And they're like, yeah. well, stop playing so quickly. Stop playing one-touch football. Stop 
seeing things in advance and playing balls in behind the line. And I'm like, how do I do that? And they're like, yeah. I don't know, but you got to find a way. I'm like, oh, gosh. you're telling me to slow down what I just worked on for six years in the Premier League? How am I right. supposed to slow down? You know, uh, it was kind of weird. And But they also wanted me to keep pushing the guys. And then we brought in guys like Marco Echeverri, Jaime Moreno, and it was fantastic. And yeah. we had the, the American international uh, national team players like Eddie Pope and Jeff Agus. I mean, fantastic team. And we came together. We bonded great relationships. And then the speed of play just came. But it was difficult. It was I everything. Can imagine. It was off the field. It was, it was learning, transitioning and learning to be a salesman of the game. When I was a young American kid breaking down walls and barriers and stereotypes of American can't play this game. So then to turn around and come back is like, okay, we got to build this league up now. And it was a different approach for sure. And it was challenging. It was a lot of pressure. Um, and I can remember our season. I was talking to Bruce Arena a few weeks back. And I remember us being like four and seven. Like we won four games and lost seven in the first 11. And everybody thought, oh, you guys should win it. And we were like, by the time we got to the cup final and won up in Foxborough Stadium in a nor'easter storm over three, three uh, days. We were only 500 in the season. So yeah. everybody, it's not like we tore it up. And uh, so it was a lot of learning along the way there. Uh, and a lot of indoor players trying to make a living too in an outdoor league. We were looking for players. Let's not bring up my, let's not bring up my career. Hey, <laughs> hey Archie, um, you, know, you, just, you brought up an interesting point. I, I wonder, you know, you've played for Bruce Arena on a college level. You played for him on a professional level, and you played for him on the national team. Did you? I mean, he's obviously a great coach. Did you see him coach differently at those three levels? I did. I mean, I think you know he had to adapt uh, based on you know the skill sets of the players. What we had, right. Kevin. Um, but I also don't think he changed his his everyday principles, like his expectations, his demands, his standards. It, you know, were fantastic and. You know, Tony Miola and I both went to UVA and we learned from, from Bruce. And Bruce at that time was a young coach, so he was learning. You know what I mean? And uh, he was early in his career. And he was a lacrosse um, guy too, right? He was a lacrosse coach also. He actually, Dave, you're correct. He, he actually started, he went there and started the lacrosse team. He was a wow. hell of a lacrosse player. He played for the huh. world lacrosse team. Um, wow. And he went and to, you know. They're a powerhouse. UVA is a powerhouse in lacrosse. Yeah. And, and he was and playing extremely well. Cornell and you know he was huge you know as a player but then they asked him to start the soccer program at UVA as well so he ran both wow. and then he shifted over to soccer because he was like this is a sport that's going to grow here and he wanted to continue to push that so he was a he was a demanding guy but he was great he would always raise your standards higher and his expectations of you on a consistent basis were brilliant he brought a lot of discipline to us you know as a as a team and um but he also knew how to have fun he was, his banter was great. He would be sarcastic, typical New York sarcastic guy. And he would get after you, you know, you know, yeah. if you did something even slightly wrong, he's like looking at you. He's like, all right, all right. He's coming after you. You know, he's going to break your balls a little. He's going to break your balls. Oh, without, a doubt. without a doubt. <laughs> I thought Bruce Arena was a good announcer as well because of that very reason. He sort of, he didn't care what players thought. You know, John, you've probably been in that position before because you've been an announcer and, and you know, worn a lot of hats in that regard. But the hard part about being a former great player and then you're in the booth, 
you're criticizing the players because that's your job. And it's really difficult because you have to go down to the locker room and they're your friends. And um, yeah. you know, somebody got megged at the top of the box or whatever, you, or, you know, had a, had a nightmare and you have to talk about it. How, how has that been for you? Yeah, that, that was a big challenge too, Kevin. And there's a way to do it. And, and it doesn't, and, and I've always told other like guys that are coming up and Taylor Twelman and these guys that were younger and they were coming up and wanted to be um, analysts and stuff. I said, guys, you just can't make it personal. Like that's the last thing that you can do. If you start, and it's the way that you describe it. Like there's a situation if um, a player should have scored a goal and there's, you know, there's so many times like you would hear people in the truck and ESPN, like, you know, Kevin, and you know, or Fox or whoever we were working for at that time, they'd be like, oh, that's critical. I mean, that's so, oh man, that's stupid. How did he miss that? And blah, blah, blah. You got to crush him for that. And my, my point of view would always be like, do you know how hard that is to hit the ball on that angle first time from that? that that's not a guaranteed goal. So because you've been a player, you're in those situations, you know that it is difficult and the game is made of mistakes. It's the ones that respond really well to the mistakes that are successful. So you're like, hey, there's going to be mistakes all over the place. You don't make it personal and tear a player down. That's not your job as a, as a uh, an analyst. Your job as an analyst is to tell a story to to the the audience, and it's also to point out things and then you know kind of build it up and say, here's what could happen today based on their tactical analysis, and here are the players to look for. And that's it. That's your job. Don't right. get into it, but make it about you. It's not about you. It's about them on the field. It's about the game. And that's you've got to be really honest as a commentator to make it in, in this game to do that. Yeah, speaking of commentators, uh, I talked to Bob Lee earlier today. He said to say hello. So he sort of oh, was our – Oh, my God. The original, the gangster, yeah. the, the original. Yeah, the OG. The OG. Wow. He is a legend, that man. Wow. He's hanging <laughs> out down in Key West uh, with his eight or nine Emmys. Uh, he's got a couple grandkids, so – uh, but, you know, you think about that soccer history, um, you know, coming all along. And, you know, one of the criticisms I have, Harksy, of, of yeah. the way soccer, we all were like Pied Pipers. We just tried to, you know, we love this game. Uh, we got shit on by many, uh, you know, sort of communities and uh, you're taken away from other sports or whatever it was. It's a foreigner's game. We had to deal with all that crap. One of the last places I feel that we're behind is in announcing because two things. I think one, when you're talking about those guys in the truck sometimes commenting, oh, how could he miss that? Many of those guys didn't play the game and you can tell. And so we had to also teach the production crew sort of what, you know, what, what that was, what was happening there. And the other thing is I, I don't think American announcers have been given enough due in the game. The guys probably are, are sick of me complaining about this, but it's sort of like, you know, you grew up with the English accent, guys yelling at you all the time, you know, with that, that, you know, knock your fool, get stuck in a mixer, you know, that whole thing. And I look at yeah. the announcers, they're all foreigners and there's not an American, you know, a voice there. So it's, it's sort of annoying. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. I think the game needs to be, you know, same with the coaching, you know, there's like these, these trends that they do and they want to get the foreign coaches in the MLS now and plenty of American coaches that actually can do the job really well. And same with the commentators. I think, the commentators, you know, you need an American voice. You got that. That's called branding, you know, and it's it's important to do that in the right way. Um, look, Apple came in and changed this whole landscape of announcing. And um, I've been uh, removed from it for a while, um, the announcing part. And even, you know, working with Sirius XM and, you know, for years and building up hopefully that station and that program and stuff like that it was all fun to be part of that. But you always knew that 
unfortunately, we have an infatuation here, and even, it's even in cinema and film. It's like you hear a UK accent and everybody melts and drops to their knees. And it's like, right, exactly. it's just been like that since we kicked him out with we the Boston Tea Party. You know, I mean, it was like, it's just always been like that. It's just weird. And so for me, it's, you got to get, look, at the end of the day, Kevin, whether you're foreign or American or whatever it may be, you got to yeah. get soccer people in the sport. People that love the game, that are emotionally invested to work in all admin work jobs to the television television um you know with clubs with uh, managing it has to be emotionally invested people and it can't be like oh i'm coming over from hockey oh i'm coming from baseball but i'm well, shooting this what? game tonight and it's like well you don't you don't know how to shoot a game then and because you got to be here for 48 to not 52 minutes in the first half you can't have a kickoff like you do in the super bowl seven seconds into the game, like, all right, and a commercial break. And you're like, what? The game just started. What are we doing? And it, it's the weirdest thing. You've got 15 to 16 minutes of action, week. and you've got four hours of watching a game. You're like, what? I was telling these guys last week that I watched, I was actually in Antarctica, and I was watching on a cruise ship, uh, watching the Super Bowl with a bunch of foreigners. And they could not believe how little action there was. And I said, well, this is, you know, it's intense action, but it, it's about four seconds. And then yeah. they go back to the huddle and, you know, come up with a new secret plan. Uh, and then, uh, you know, same thing. So yeah. A new secret plan. <laughs> yeah, it's like, like, they're like <laughs> I, I'm not trashing American football. I like it. I'm a Giants oh, I fan. I, I grew up with it. I, I loved it. But it's hard to watch it sometimes now. It's just, it, wow. It's just such a marketing advertising machine. And it's, I mean, come on. I mean. I mean, exactly. if, 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 you're, if, if more than half of the battle, you're just looking at somebody like this the whole time on the sideline, <laughs> all the coaches are, what are you doing? Put down your yeah. bingo card and let the players make plays, you know? Well, like the play's going to make any sense to anybody. Four to two, psych five in the fifth hole. Like, shut up. Then nobody's going to steal it. Um, well, I know, but, so, but isn't say- the beauty, though, isn't the beauty, though, of like other sports when you look like a guy like Peyton Manning, you're like, he called more than three quarters of his own plays. And like that's that's brilliant. That's how it should be. Yeah. You're in Damn. the game. Yeah. A real a, sh- a real strategist, a coach on the field. I love that. Absolutely. Yeah. No, John, so I wanted to ask you. I mean, your soccer resume it it, it reads like a laundry list. It's a billion things, a billion highlights. Um one thing I wanted to focus on, I mean, you've you've won Two MLS Cups. I mean, UVA was a, an unbelievable career. Obviously, the World Cups, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, even down to Greenville. Um, but one thing I wanted to ask you is about you actually won the Goal of the Year award in the uh, English Premier League back in uh, the early 90s. I mean, you, right. think of, you think about all the goals that are scored and you won that. I mean, tell me the feeling that you had when obviously when you scored it and then when you won that award. I mean, it was just like an out-of-body out experience, to be honest with you, because you know, in that game itself, it was freezing cold and it was like sleet and snow coming down. And we only had short sleeve short shirts for Sheffield Wednesday at that time. I was young. I had just signed my contract. I don't know if a lot of people know this, but it's not like I went over there and within two weeks trial, I signed a contract. I was over there for close to like two and a half months because I had went from there to Sheffield Wednesday to Blackburn. Then I went up to Celtic and they all offered me contracts, but it was all the same money that Sheffield Wednesday uh, initially offered me. So I went back to Wednesday with my tail between my legs and then had to earn it. And he made me really work for it. And 
so that game, we were playing away at Darby County at the baseball ground. And uh, it was freezing cold and warm up. And I remember looking over and I see one player, our Irish international, John Sheridan, one of our quality, quality players, and he's got a long sleeve shirt on. So I go, huh. And I'm like, what's going on here? So I walk over to Alan Smith, God rest his soul. He was the England physio as well. And I said, Alan, I go, Smudjo, that was his nickname. I go, can I get a long sleeve? I, I, I Oh, hold on. Stop, everyone. Hold on. Oxy wants a long sleeve. Hey, Gaffer, Oxy, the American, wants a long sleeve to wear out there. And I go, whoa, what? what? I'm like, what happened? What? What I say? I'm like, oh, God, I'm doomed. And then they gave me so much shit. And I was like, oh, man, I'm in trouble here. So anyway, I played. And I just remember that ball getting switched out to me by Nigel Worthington. And I just... I looked up the field as the ball was in the air, and I saw that they had dropped off quite a bit. And I was almost playing like a like a right back coming forward in that game. I was still trying to establish myself and break into the lineup. And I took my first touch forward, and I looked up. Nobody came, so I took another big, huge touch. And my third one was just a bang. I mean, it was definitely, yeah. you know, up above, well, yes, yes. Back, not me. And it went right in the top top corner, and uh, it was against Peter Shilton, the most capped player. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yep. And I was just sitting there like celebrating. But then it was one of those moments where you kick in and you're you're like, okay, discipline, discipline. That's it. You scored a goal. That's great. But we got to win this game. And then you start to try to focus and stay balanced there. But what a moment, man. I, I remember Amazing. jumping on a phone call with my uh, girlfriend at the time, my wife now, uh, almost 32 years, and telling her about the goal. And she's like, okay, that's great, John. I'm so happy for you. I'm like, no, but you don't understand. She was like, uh, no, I, th- I think that's great. I'm like, oh, God, wait till you see it. And, and <laughs> my, girlfriend, my girlfriend has that reaction. When I, score a goal at, uh, when I score a goal at Chelsea Piers, I react like that, and I tell her about it. Uh, you know, it's funny. I went over to Yeah, but you, over to you're Dar- toe poking that in, Kevin. You're doing exactly. the toe poke to the back post. <laughs> never scored a goal without my toe that's uh, how i go um you know you have a big personality and you were a ball buster and i think that probably helped you going over there because it was very it was very difficult and I, I remember steve salvatore my producer um with abc at the time we went over and hung out in derby i think and um you know i thought like it, it was sort of country-ish and remote and i thought man god bless johnny because he's over here his family's always back and and it's just a lonely existence it's really it's really uh, difficult and i I love this story we got to kind of wrap this up but um this is my favorite story of you and i i i push this um as a movie this should be a movie first of all your journey going over there and how damn lonely it was and you know the whole nation is on your back when you scored that goal by the way, that goal of the year. I mean, I freaked out. It was like, we just, you're so damn proud that an American is there doing that then. Um, not knowing the pressure that you're under, you know. But um, talk about, and I think it was in Boston when you guys came back and you're playing England. And one of the guys said to you at kickoff, you know, the, the coin flip or whatever. Go ahead. Tell that story, Harksy. Uh, yeah. I mean, you're, you're right, Kevin. I mean, we were taking so much crap because they were like, oh, yeah, but you're American. So it was always that. That, that always came. And it was almost like, some like prepositional phrase that was added on to every sentence, like, oh, you won that game, but it was a friendly and you're just Americans. And I was just like, <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. And so we did play against England. It was up in New England, uh, up in Boston, and we won 2-0. Two, two and um, I just remember the players, they were like, first of all, Carlton Palmer, who played you know, for Sheffield Wednesday with me and for England at the time, 
was on the pitch and, and Gascoigne and all these like quality, quality players. Brian Robson, I think, was might have been out there for England, who was my hero. And I'm like, and I got to play against Manchester United and beat them in the League Cup final. And I thought, you know, it, it, these guys, like, they were just so arrogant and they'd just be like, Hey, we'll bet you a grand or two, you know, we win today and we'll give you two goals. And I'm like, oh, you will. Oh, <laughs> all right. I'll take that. You know, or like, ah, oh, you guys are lucky to be out here, you know, on the field with us, you know? And I'm like, and then there was some reporter, Kevin, I don't know if you remember, and he must have looked at all the value of the players in England and all the value of us. And it was like, <laughs> we were equal to 1.3 million and they were about 17 and a half million just from their back line alone. At that time, <laughs> thanks, guys. Appreciate that. That's great. That's going to build our confidence up. But we but want I, to know. They, they talk I remember about who the, smack. I forget who the player was, but he just looked up at you and goes, oh, it's going to be a long day, Hanksy. It's going to be a long day yeah, for you. Yep, that's right. That's right. <laughs> You're lucky to long long Yeah. Exactly. Well, Johnny, man, it's, it's great to catch up with you, pal. Yeah, thanks, John. Um, My you pleasure, know, uh, guys. Great, great Ian, to be on with Ian, you. And uh, – Share these stories. Thank you for having me on. I'm, I'm really John, honored. You're a legend, buddy. You're a legend. All right, Johnny Hart, you. thanks for joining us on Over the Ball, pal. Great catching up with Harksy. He's, uh, he's a legend, man. And he's done so many different things in this game, Dave. I uh, just love talking to him. He's, so, he's funny, too. I actually tried to get John to do stand-up comedy. I mean, when I was working for ESPN, we... Uh, tried to get a couple of guys to do stand-up comedy and I finally got Dominic Kinnear to do it and he did a great job but John was in England at the time and he couldn't get back for it but I think he uh he would have been great so so uh I watched Liverpool game before this interview and um you're down in Mexico huh watching it down in Mexico see um yeah Liverpool is not really a big draw down here in Mexico but really? um, yeah, shocking, right? Um, it's funny though. I mean, you were in Argentina last week. I'm in Mexico yeah. this week, and you put on the TV when when you're ready for bed. You know, you lay in bed ten o'clock. You put on the TV. It's like eighteen channels of soccer. It's, it's unbelievable. Amazing. It's really so wonderful. funny. Yeah, so funny. You no, know, no. I was gonna say when I was in Mexico, everybody knew everything about soccer. It was wonderful. Oh yeah, absolutely. But I mean, still the Mexican league here is still, still the, it's still the shizzle. Um, I, I did want to talk about, um, about John Harks though, in terms of his resume, it's just so fascinating. And again, scoring the goal of the year in the premier league, being the first American to score in a, in a, in a league, in, in a league final, um, I forgot what what they were playing for. It wasn't the actual Premier League final, but it was a game that mattered. He was the first American to score. I mean, this guy is just like there's so many awesome, awesome, awesome things on his resume. Yeah, I was going to tell you two to get a room for God's sakes, man. You lay it out. Hey, listen, you got to give the guy credit, man. You got to give Absolutely. the guy credit. No, and you know, I think the young ones got to remember uh, the trailblazer that he was. So uh, I'm glad I. We've stayed connected with uh, with John, so uh, so good thing, good find, good grab there. And you know, we mentioned Ricky Davis. I want to get Ricky on as well because I would uh, love that. You know, like I had a poster of Cheryl Teague, Sarah Fawcett, uh, Ricky Davis, and Peter Frampton on my wall. So, so that's so was weird. Ricky Davis was Ricky Davis wearing the same thing as Farrah? Was he wearing that red sweats uh, bathing I mean, suit? No. He had a Cosmos uniform on. Are you kidding me? He was oh, okay. uh, you know, he was Harksy before Harksy. So you know, we all need to pay it forward. So uh, it's wonderful that everybody remembers this. All right. That's all the time we have today on OTB, everybody. For Dave Gallego, I'm Kevin Flynn and Octane Media. We'll talk to you next time on OTB. 
have comments or questions, give us a ring or shoot us a text at 727-914-9998. That's 727-914-9998.